welcome to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you perform at your best with 15% off your first order of electrolytes and carbohydrate fuel with the code OA23 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and I'm joined by Coach Chris Palfreman. And every week we bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you. There's a couple of things you can do for us before we get started, please. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe on YouTube or click follow on your podcast app. And also, if you're looking for help and advice with your training, please get in touch. You can drop us an email to help at oxygenaddict.com or there's a link in the show notes. On today's show, we're joined by age group story, Sarah McDonald. Sarah's recently completed her first Ironman and she's got a fantastic story to tell us. Welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you doing today? Say a quick hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Rob. Hi, Chris. All good. Thanks. And you? It's great to have you with us. Now, before we go into our interview with you, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. You can use their free fuel and hydration planning tool to receive a personalized strategy for your next race. The planner helps you understand your own carbohydrate, electrolyte and fluid needs so you can refine your strategy during training and then absolutely nail it in racing. You can even book a free one-to-one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team and they'll be happy to help you nail your race nutrition plan. I've got a feeling we'll be talking a little bit more about them later on, Sarah, as we jump into your story. So... Coach Chris, welcome. Sarah, welcome. It's lovely to have you both with us. Um, it's looking bright and sunny where you are, Sarah, and it's not at all mm. here. So that's good news. <laughs> right, listen, let's kick this off. What was it that first made you want to do an Ironman? What What was it all the way back in the day that first attracted you to the idea of Ironman? Yeah, um, you know, I, back in 2017, I was called into very last minute to do the run portion of the uh, Barcelona 70.3 relay team and it turned into a relay because my friend who was doing the whole event had a, a had a, an accident um, and was unable to do anything but the swim and we were sitting by the side of the pool one evening and she said I've got my cyclist I just need my runner so I found myself flying out to Barcelona for less than 24 hours where I, I did the run portion um, but I remember that morning watching them all preparing and going off into the sea when at that point I was just learning to swim. And I thought, wow, that would be so cool. I can't ever imagine ever doing that. And as time went on and I got a bit better with my swimming and I got going with my first secondhand bike. And I thought I kept seeing that phrase, anything is possible. And, you know, I look back to the day when I'd never run a marathon and then I'd run five and then I, I would never buy a wetsuit. And then I'm standing there in a wetsuit. and before I knew it, last August, sitting at work, the day that um, Outlaw Nottingham Full opened for entries, I hit the button and then I was like, I've done it. Oh, my goodness, I'm doing an Ironman next year. And it was really an inspiration of, of other good friends that, that that caused me to do that, yeah. So it really was a case of having been having been inspired by seeing other people do it. And, do you know, I think you hit an interesting point there that, actually clicking clicking go on the website is is almost as big a challenge at the time as doing the races itself later on right yeah totally and and it, and even now i mean it, 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 you know i've got other things that might be in the in the in the irons in the fire sort of thing but even that i'm scared to hit that button because it's like a it's like a natural commitment 
Um, you know, I'd, I'd done, I'd actually done several 70.3, quite a few 70.3s before I'd done, done the full. And the very first one I did, I literally signed up 10 days before I did it on virtually certainly no 70 now when I look what we do no 70.3 specific training whatsoever and I remember doing the bike and just laughing all the way around because I'd never actually ridden that far on a bike without stopping before um so that was just a hilarious experience I, I did that with my sister who'd done several already um but so yeah but seeing people doing it and the atmosphere it was like yes I know what I want to do I want to see if I can do that distance yeah yeah that's I can still remember my my dad coming to watch me do my first 70.3 way back in like 20 odd years ago and he was in his early 60s at the time and and afterwards he said to me there were some guys my age there doing this and there were nowhere near as many people in their 60s doing it back then and my mum just said to him no don't you dare don't you even think about doing it but I look back and I think I wish he had now he was a like, he's a really strong athlete and I wish he'd just kind of jumped in and gone for it so so good for you for throwing yourself into it and getting entered in the first place. That's that's the biggest challenge, I think, believing yeah, yeah, you can yeah. actually get to the point you can do it. It was something, I, and I turned, well, I'm 51 now, but I turned obviously 50 last year. And I'd said in my late 40s, perhaps I'll try one on my 50th birthday. Well, obviously, who wants to do one in February unless you're somewhere amazing, um, you know, the other side of the world? And, and I thought I didn't want to travel overseas for my first one. I wanted to you know, be able to get in the car, fill the car with lots of lots of junk and get there. And um, so, yeah, the outlaw and having done all their events with the exception of Holcomb, I felt comfortable with the setup. So it felt the natural first first one to do. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Were you going to say something then, Chris? Sorry. Yeah, um, I've got lots of thoughts. Um, my first one is to the listeners. Um, you might be thinking uh, this is another age group story that I can't quite relate to. This is probably... Um, you know, someone that doesn't have a full-time job or working part-time, got plenty of time on their hands and they want to throw themselves into a challenge. But I'm lucky enough to know Sarah quite well by now. Um, it's been quite a few months and I actually remember the first time we spoke, which was um, kind of an induction talk that we had over Zoom with Rob. And I, I remember this precise moment, which I'll refer back to in a minute. But to the listeners um, on this podcast now, I can tell you that Sarah is an extremely busy person. I'm sure Sarah will be happy to share what her daily routine looks like and the kind of role that she's involved in. But, you know, I'm lucky enough to see her training peaks on a daily and weekly basis. And the times in the morning that Sarah's going out for her swim, her run or her bike on specific days of the week are crazy. We're talking 5am being very very normal so I don't want the listener thinking like oh this is someone with loads of time and therefore time breeds success Sarah's a kind of athlete that's devoted so much in terms of time but that time isn't come easy to her at all so um yeah keep that in mind when you're listening to Sarah's story that actually this is someone that's working full-time and at times more than full-time it sounds like and um yeah that's part of the inspiration of this podcast I feel yeah, I think so too. Yeah, we'll we'll come to your sort of your work life balance and stuff just a little bit later on. But this might feed into that point when you when you look back to the decision to join us when you'd signed up for the Outlaw. I think you started with us at the beginning of September or October previous year. What was the biggest challenge you were facing at the time in your training when you were looking ahead to Outlaw? Yeah, I mean, I remember the day I made the decision. I was on my way back from Bilbao 
having been in the European um, Championships age group, middle distance, and I did the standard duathlon out there. And we were driving back in the car, in the dark, in the rain, back through Spain and into France. And one of your emails came in because I've been on your email distribution list for some years, ever since I'd met you the first time back at Outlaw Rex in the um, in the sort of um, introduction speech and briefing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd signed up and I'd actually come and spoken to you sort of thing at the time. And I driving back and this email came in and it was something along the lines of, do I need a coach? And I looked at my husband and I went, I need this coach. And I literally came back, booked, had a, a, a initial chat with Andy, um, and I signed up straight away that day. But the chat, when I look now at what I did to what I do, you know, there's, I, I can't ever, I think one of the main specific things was I didn't swim enough because swimming was my weakest discipline. And because the one where I'd have to drag myself to the pool, drag myself to the lake, I could get out of it because I was my own coach. And I wasn't going to tell myself off, not that you guys ever tell us off, but race ready would if I didn't do my swims during the week. And actually, the days of the week the swims come up are really convenient days for me and slotting quite nicely to my busy life. And the more I've done them, the more I've enjoyed swimming. And it's kind of, I, I would say, of, of all the um, the experiences with now being on a really regular training plan which I like my training plan like I don't look at it and think I don't want to do that I don't want to do that I don't do that and I'm I rarely change things mm. um, unless I really have to with work but before I would sit there every Sunday with my diary and just think oh I know I'll do a few hill reps or I know I'll do my little mini duathlon or my mini triple brick and things like that so I made up what I wanted to do as opposed to things that I probably really should have done and that's such a difference. And, and I can see that in terms of how I recover better and certainly how I feel standing on that start line. So, yeah, I would say it's the, the biggest difference. <laughs> it, it's interesting, isn't it, how we we tend to do, I suppose it's natural, we tend to do the things we enjoy and we tend to not do the things that we we need to maybe when we're self-coached. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of it, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I look back. That's a massive change in mindset since the time I've known you. The amount of stuff that you're running towards um, that is really uncomfortable stuff, you know, working on your weaknesses, working on areas that aren't particularly fun. And one that's come up recently is bike handling skills. And as triathletes, that's certainly an area that the majority of us could improve on. And Sarah definitely fell into that bracket and she put her hand up saying there's this glaring weakness and it's not my physiology, it's not my race preparation, it's not my nutrition that's stopping me or inhibiting me from getting towards the podium in my age group. It's actually just bike handling skills and the most basic level of how do I get around a turnaround point, a cone really smoothly without panicking, without it, you know, completely throwing me off balance. And I think the old Sarah of maybe a year ago or pre the time that we've been working together, you may have just swept that under the carpet and focused on the stuff that you really did enjoy, which was, you know, working hard up hills, running really long and really smooth. But that's, you know, that's OK. That's your talent. We know that you'll be able to always deliver that on race day. But actually cycling around a real tight corner <laughs> is something that very few triathletes are willing to put that 
that time to practice. And Sarah's done that, you know, off the back of um, conversations, she's, um, I mean, I think I'm okay to say that you've actually gone and hired a one-on-one coach, essentially on a bike park, going around car parks, clipping in, clipping out, changing hand positions, leaning into corners, all that stuff, which is actually nothing to do with what drew you into the sport in the first time. You know, right at the start, it was probably about physically pushing yourself to the absolute limit and doing an Ironman. But now here you are going around cones in a car park. <laughs> and that's what's actually enabling you to have these amazing success stories that, um, yeah, we see you on the podium at age group level. Yeah. It, I mean, I obviously, we, we had the UK um, TOA training camp back in May. And yeah, you know what? Once, once you're going along straight road, no problem. Give me a hill. Love it. Usually first or one of the first few at the top but then give all the all, all the gains away going down the thing unless I can really see where I'm going and the tarmac smooth and and so on and so forth and you know that's that's when I when I would look at the times after I would always analyze where you know okay my swim was this my bike was this where was I and the different thing and I would I would go straight to the top of the age group what are those women of my age doing that I'm not and where I would come out quite far back in the swim, I would take them down in the bike because I'm strong on the bike. But then who are the ones I can't get past? What is it they're doing that I can't do? And I would then look at the bike times. Yeah, 245, 250 might look really good. But they're doing 225. What is what is it there? And it yes, a, it, it's the difference between a road bike or a TT bike, or it, it is the handling. And when when I think now about you know, suddenly going into a corner. And if you're coming to a virtual stop, I've got to put so much more power. And I look down and the speed will drop so many K per hour. And you've got to build that back up again and sort of fight even on a slight incline to get that. So add all those minutes up over 90K or as I've since found 180K, that really counts for such a lot. So yeah, I did. I, you know, having been take, dragging my husband to the cyclo park every week and getting away with standing there, I can't do it, I can't do it, I won't do it, and not doing it for ages. And then suddenly bumping into a coach that I've been recommended um, as a, 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 a British Cycling Level 3, done a lot of work, has got a lot of lot of um, teams, racing teams, ex-racer himself. And the first lesson, and I, I basically said, can you actually teach me how to get on and off this thing, start and stop it? Because no one does that. You go and buy a bike and no one, no one, everyone expects someone of, of my age to just know how to, to ride a bike, which I haven't done since I was a little girl at school. You know, I did other things. And so we spent time sort of working on even the most simple thing of how you clip in, you know, how you clip in at speed rather than losing your speed to clip in. And to the point now where, as I was saying to you last week, Chris, there I am practicing for my upcoming race this weekend, doing really, really tight figure of eights inside barriers and going around cones where I looked at them and I thought, I can't do that, but I did it and I can do it. And it's a case of doing it over and over and over and over again. So within those sessions, it's the repeat, the repeat, the repeat, keep nailing, drilling in those, those techniques until you get to the point where you find you're smiling and you, you can't wait to do the next one, you know, and and um, last week, I actually, he, he's, the coach suddenly said, right, okay, we'll stop now. And I was so engrossed with smiling, I went sideways on my bike. And I was like, and he said, it's actually good sometimes to fall off because you realise it, it doesn't hurt as much as you think. And I came home and I laughed all the way home thinking about that because it, it wasn't, a, it was a totally soft fall. It was a silly fall. And, and I had to get up and carry on because, you know, there's no time for, you know, 
getting upset about something like that. But yes, absolutely, it's, it's made a big difference. You've got to look at your limiters, and I, I you know, I've done that in in swimming as well because that is something where you know technique, technique, technique. You know, it's not about age or or physiology or whatever. It's technique, technique, and so I have looked at ways within that element as well you know rather than coming back you know in the in the back third I felt m- much nicer at Outlaw to be coming out in the middle you know I never want to be at the front because I might not know the bike route but somewhere somewhere that I feel a little bit less embarrassed about the, the time yeah it would have been so easy for Sarah to spend all her time on Zwift and you know she's really good at Zwift in many ways she's, <laughs> she's rarely deviating <laughs> from the targets that we give day in day out you're you're always there and you're brilliant on Zwift and there's a massive jump from translating that bike power into raw speed for hopefully even less power on race day and that's where I think Sarah's mentality is shifting it's not just about you know hitting or holding 140 or 150 watts for six hours it's actually ideally let's hold 130 to 140 but have a higher average speed which is thanks to more efficiency less braking or braking at the right time less accelerating out of corners holding your speed it's all that stuff and that just goes such a long way in 70.3 and even more so in Ironman the longer you're out there the more that each detail has a greater impact so yeah I, I found it really brilliant to see someone actually showing their vulnerabilities and a lot of triathletes have it in swimming and we often put our hand up saying I'm, I'm trying harder but I'm just not improving but we know that technique is the big breakthrough for a lot of people I haven't heard so many people say it with cycling and maybe that's a bit of a thing that you know Sarah said it really well there that maybe it's a little bit embarrassing that as an adult we haven't spent much time on a bike everyone expects us to be flying around corners but you know, it, it's hard, especially on UK roads. They're not great quality. There's a lot of cars, there's a lot of potholes, there's a lot of rain. And actually, we might be better triathletes at the end of the year if we actually put ourselves out of the comfort zone and do it in a safe manner, observed, exactly like Sarah's done. And massive improvements can be made. Yeah. I think it's, it's a feather in your cap, Sarah, that you've recognised. You've recognised there's something here that you can make an improvement on and working on the technique-based elements I think it's something that a lot of people perhaps overlook, the fact that you do get fitter and faster with training, but you can get fitter and faster so much quicker if you apply that fitness training with the right technique. Almost certainly the pool is a great example of this, but definitely there's some free time available for a lot of athletes on the bike as well in terms of learning to have more skill-based fitness as well as you know um, physiology-based fitness, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And even and even, you know, even for the, the, the time that I've been working with the coach, I, I definitely felt it translated into the last two races that I've done. And it, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I found myself recently just and I, I said this to Chris last week, I found myself literally just knowing I had an hour and a half bike ride to do. It was a lovely but it wasn't actually that lovely a day, but it wasn't raining. So I take that as a lovely day at the moment. And got my bike ready in, in the morning and off you know I didn't even say to my husband you want to come uh, you know the, the amount of time I had to be out wouldn't have fitted in with cycling groups that are, that, that, that are here nearby and so off I went 
did a few loops, not that far from home, but the loops I do give me a balance of, of, of what I need uphill up into the wind, downwind, that sort of nice bit that I can get on the drops and so on. And 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 a couple of things went wrong in that. And I just was like, hey, it doesn't matter. But it was like my, my drinks tube wasn't quite, you know, right. It was popping out and irritating me. And and my I've got a Garmin Varia, which I absolutely swear by. It, it's a great piece of kit, really reassuring. Um, and that actually wasn't I'd, I'd obviously done something to that and the angle was wrong so that wasn't picking up the cars but I've, you know I got home and I thought I, I just felt more more because in, in a in the race mentality your mind feels different you get on it's mostly left turns you know you've got people doing traffic control you very rarely have to stop unless you're going to an aid station which you'll be really careful about how you're going in and out but at home, you'll stop, start, cars coming around you, potholes, as Chris said, road surfaces, roundabouts, all the other things that where I live, horses, people walking the roads, we don't have pavements. You, you've got all those other factors. And I felt much better around them because some of the some of the coaching we're doing deliberately, I have coaches riding very close to me. And he's also um riding where I've got to sit six inches off his back wheel, things that I've never felt comfortable with. And doing some of this this pushing off and clipping in and out and going around in an area where there's other people and other people with bikes and small children that so you've got hazards and initially I was like but actually you've got those hazards in everyday life when you're out on your bike so yes it, it, it's given a, a, a lot more confidence yeah good hey listen let's talk a little bit about the balance in training in your life the balance between you, you're busy working life, your family life and training. How how have you gone about fitting all of that in? Because I'm sure there are people listening who are where you are. They've maybe done the first triathlons or even the 70.3 and they want to do an Ironman and they're thinking, what would this look like and how would I fit it in? Mm. Well, I have, I, do you want me to say what I do for a living? I, I Yeah, I'm happy for you yeah, to talk about so, that, yeah. So I actually, um, I work in sport as well. Um, I'm the county secretary for Kent Golf Limited. So effectively, I am CEO of, of 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 all of amateur golf in Kent. So I have 83 golf clubs that I look after, which equates to 35,000 golfers. So I have a, an incredibly busy job. Um, I've got a team of amazing seven people that work for me and another 78 volunteers. And without that, you, you can sort of see the sort of machine that we are. Um, yeah. And of course, the two seasons run in tandem so when all my big golf events are on that's when all our you know certainly in this country in Europe that's when our triathlons are on and come the winter when people think we're quieter in golf while well, we're, we're actually very busy planning is when I'm doing the base training and, and so on so I'm never I'm never quiet my job's never quiet and in fact in the run-up to Outlaw I was actually taking Fridays off work to get in my long swim my bike and my strength and conditioning because and I remember you've always said this, but both of you, you know, let's say, a, a, I don't know, a, a six-hour bike isn't necessarily a six-hour bike. You've got to plan everything, get it all out ready before you go, always the night before. You've got to get back. You've got to clean your bike quite often. You check your wheels, do all that, get all that done. If you've got a brick run off of it, you've got that. Get back, sort you out, sort everything out, and suddenly it's a whole day gone. Exactly the same. So I thought on the Fridays, I'm going to have to just take this. The lake doesn't open till like 10 o'clock. I'm always chatting. So that that time in the, not when I'm swimming, but that time afterwards, just take the time off. But to get it in my working week, I get off to bed very early in the mornings, Chris said earlier. I've always been an early bird. I, I don't find that a problem, even in the dark winter. Um, 
but I, I like to get my training done early. With the job I have, because quite often I have things that go terribly wrong during the day, I just couldn't face sitting there all day worrying if I won't get time to get to the tiny slot that the pool might be open or that before the lake closes or, um, you, you know, before I've run out of daylight to get on the bike or something like that. Yeah, we can get on my treadmill, we can get on Swift, but that isn't every piece of training that's needed. And you're tired as well and you've got to do dinner and all the other things in washing and all the other things that go with it. So I get it done super early. And sometimes I'll even re-emerge in the house and it's like I've, I've done – I've done so much and no one's even noticed because I've sort of slipped in and done it so so early running and so on, yeah. What were the specifics a, of that? Sorry, Chris. Sorry, um, I was just going to say um, that is just such a key component to success in long-distance sport. It's find the hours where you're least likely to get distracted or be called upon by family or work. The reality is your phone's never going to go between 5 and 8 a.m., you're not going to be asked by your children or by your partner to go and do the shopping, to mow the lawn, all that stuff, or crisis at work. So try and protect that time as much as possible. And that's the time to go and do we, You know, I fall into that trap so often where I think I'll go and do my session at 6pm tonight. Likelihood is work's going to run over, my partner's going to need help with something at home, and suddenly I'm just sitting there feeling really frustrated, wishing I'd already done the session. So, yeah, Sarah's absolutely nailed it in terms of forward planning and knowing that her golden time is when everyone else is asleep. And that yeah. takes, you know, that's really, really tough to do day in, day out. But yeah. Sarah is proof that you can be CEO of a really important <laughs> role, but you can still compete at essentially the highest level of amateur sport in uh, highest level in amateur in, in triathlon, which is, you know, absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's uh, also I find the mind is empty so I can focus on me and my training needs at that time if I when I have had the occasion where I've had to go last week I had to run in the middle of the day because I had to split times between two sets because work was a problem on Friday and I felt my run at one o'clock in the afternoon I just I've got to get back I've got to get back so I'm at work and my brain was thinking of work whereas when I go out super early and do that sort of thing it's it's devoted to me and my training I'm, I'm more conscious of of the body feel as opposed to the mind feel so yeah if, if people can do it early and it, it and some people doesn't work for them but but it, it, it's 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 worth a try it's worth ticking it off early nice all right well all that's brought us around then to actually talk about the outlaw itself so mm-hmm. you know let's let's hear about outlaw race day describe how the race went for us yeah i mean gee i i i I'm always kind of like speechless when I think about it because I remember pushing that button last August thinking that's next year then we got to January and it was like it's this year and then I found myself it's x months it's x weeks and then when it got to that bit where I'd you know woken up that morning and I thought it's in a couple of hours and I you know I kept waiting for this panic and these nerves and this fear and everything to just kick in and it didn't it was excitement that kicked in it was like I can't wait to do this now this is 10 months of training like I hope all the stars align for me today I hope the angels are sitting there ready to help me and I can't you know my race plan I've read it I, I could probably recite it to to you and I've memorized where everything is on the course and I just can't wait now to put it into practice. And then suddenly I find myself 
in this water with all these other athletes and we're all excited and everyone's sort of saying crazy things and, and, and so on. And then it's two and a half minutes to go. And I looked at my husband and we kept waving each other and I love you, I love you too, all that kind of thing. And then once that 6am and then went and off we went swimming and I just thought, this is it, you're doing it. But the day before, when I when I actually walked into the National Water Sports Centre and looked at the length of the lake, I thought, that's the longest lake I've ever seen in my life because in the lake at home you do loops and they don't look as long, you know, you just do lots of them. But this lake was like the most simple swim route ever, which was reassuring, but it was long, it was really long. And for a long time you don't even see the first boy. And, yeah, I just I just found myself doing it and I, I found myself sticking to the plan I'd made, which was, you know, um, start unilateral because you're going to get lots of kicks and punches and you, you you might need a bit more air to breathe and stuff. But once you once you're into it, you're going back to your bilateral because that's how you swim now. And, and yeah, I got into my rhythm and I was chasing around looking for any pair of feet that I could find because that's what I'd heard other people do, you know, because I haven't had too much opportunity to swim with other people um in in the lake I didn't have people to chase and hang off I did in the winter in the pool but not 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 so much of late so I was just darting around looking for different different feet thinking I hope no one gets on mine because they'll never finish and then the next thing I was turning and then turning again and then coming back up and then again searching for more feet and as I came out of the water and I to this day because I didn't wear my watch you know we discussed all of that it's not very aerodynamic I'm hardly going to analyze it halfway around and I needed the battery to last I will never know what I actually did because so many people have said that swim was nearer to 4k we've got 4k we've got 4k but when I when I got the wetsuit off and I deliberately decided I would faff about a bit in in both transitions first one I want to really you know I can't go back for anything and I don't want to forget anything and I want to get it right and so I got my bag and I've said the wetsuit's off put that into a bin liner and I did all the bits and when I put my watch on and it said half past seven, and I thought I've beaten my own target because I've 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 come out. I've done I've done all that, and, and I hadn't expected that at all. I, I was concerned I wouldn't make my own personal target, and and I did it. And I and you know I, I then sort of went off with a big smile on my face on the bike, and I'd remember and I'd done all because I'd emptied my bag out. I, I wasn't able to forget any of the things that I needed to do. And off I went on my bike, and there was some music playing. And the sun was out, the sky was blue, and I thought, that's gone now, the swim, that's your bike, let's get on with this. And it was all lovely and peaceful, and I looked at the, the normalised power, which I knew nothing about in the old days and know everything about now, and I thought, that's way too high, I'm going to get into trouble for that. So trying to ease back, thinking, what a lovely day, and then came out of that, that uh, out of the gates, and the wind just hit head on. And I thought, that's okay, that'll go in a minute. And it actually never went for the next six hours 33 minutes that I was out on my bike and um yeah I stuck to the plan on the bike I was really good with the you know with the I, I, in the old days I, I would have just ridden my bike I wouldn't have had a clue what to do but I knew having worked with Chris exactly where I needed in terms of power to be to have something left for the legs and I had know nothing in the old days about fueling myself in fact we used to just empty my bike bag out and all the fuel would fall out of it and all the fluid would fall out of it and it's like we're just wasting money actually even trying to fuel and hydrate you here but I thought if I don't eat everything that's in this bag today and there was still a few bits left but I I did religiously nibble 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 I kept I went for the constant blood sugar thing I you know I'd heard that some of the other athletes on podcasts and I, I went for that constantly nibbling 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 and drinking 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 um 
And I and I absolutely stopped at the two aid stations I planned to. I didn't think, oh, I'll just wing it for a bit longer or anything. And and I didn't think, oh, well, you know, I won't stop here because because I I stuck to that plan. I did exactly that because if I hadn't, maybe I wouldn't have had the run I had. You know, it, those few minutes there were probably crucial for part of that that marathon time. We talked about all of this in in the race planning. The funny thing was when I got to 100 miles of the 112, I thought, wow, that's great. I've I've done the century now. It's not far to go. But that last 12 miles felt like it went on forever. And mile 107 to 108 just just wouldn't change. It just wouldn't wouldn't change at all. And I was like, eventually, when I came back in, um, I hate saying off the bike because it has a wrong connotation. But when I came in from the bike and saw my family and that's when the emotion started to hit. You hear the music, people people cheering, and your family are there. And you know they breathe a sigh of relief, like oh, the bike's out of the way, because the weather was dreadful. It did, it was windy. It, we did have elements of rain that made the roads a bit slippy. Um, that's where the bike handling skills really come into play as well. And, you know, to, they, they could sense their relief and and sort of so go into, into transition again. I thought, again, Take your time, do your faffing, you plan to do this. Don't forget all your gels and your salt tablets and, and everything in the back of your tri-suit. And off I went on the run. And the first the first bit of the run, and I thought, oh, my legs actually they actually feel quite good. And they they, they didn't feel too bad at all. And then again, I got the wind straight in my face, you know, because I had a little bit of downwind. And then it was again, the run felt all of it was into the wind, very hard to run very fast when it's that windy. And I got to the point where the announcers are at the, at the end of the finishing shoot. And as I got there, the woman that won overall also arrived there with her four children, very emotional. And I gave her a clap, but I'd been dancing because they had a song that I remember from, you know, from young years in the eighties. I'm sort of doing a little bit of a boogie because it's so exciting and, and everything. And I got a sort of a big call out and I mentioned about the kit and the team and, and everything. But I remember thinking, she's just finished. I've got my marathon to run now. You know, it was it was then you realise like this is a really long way. Someone's just done really, really well because, you know, a, a roughly sort of what timing you've got there. And the run again, I kept my strategy, you know, the, the walk run strategy. If you told me that as a when I was a pure runner from the age of eight years old, right up to still competing at marathons, not, not too long before I joined you guys, I would have in any way, I would never have walked ever. Even in the hottest London Marathon in 2018, I would rather shuffle than walk. Now, when I'm out doing my 9-1, I live for that one minute. And it's not because my body is desperately searching for it. It's actually, I find it's a really good mental tool in terms of getting th- getting through it. You, you've got something there. Now, obviously, in the training, we do that. But the aid stations aren't every, certainly Sarah's every 9-1. So I walked casually every aid station, thinking back to Chelsea Sodaro when she won 70.3 World Championships. Good enough for her, good enough for me. Walked them, polite to everyone, did my fueling exactly, you know, to the times I would say. And there were there were times, if I'm honest, when I when I did have a, an extra sneaky walk because that running into the wind was brutal, and I would take a check of the heart rate and thinking this needs to come down a little bit. So take a little walk, get it down, get the body back. And, that's and, really and smart that's mm. really really smart you shouldn't think that, that is anything other than a great decision because mm. you're listening to your body you're looking at what your heart rate's doing and i think yeah. 
the first step is to go, right, I'm going to commit to allowing myself these walk breaks. And the next thing is to say, right, I'm going to react to how my body's doing. And it's so important in long distance triathlon, more so even than in a marathon, I think. Because a marathon's going to be over in, what, a quarter of the time, a third of the time of, a, of an Ironman. You're out there for so long. It's so important to listen to your body. So yeah. I think you did a really, really good job with that. Did and you, again, I wouldn't have known that if, if we hadn't have done the sort of race planning and work we did, because right. we knew, I knew kind of the heart rate to to clock off at. So yeah. again, that's stuff I wouldn't have known in the, the the pre-training days. Yeah. Did you did you manage to hit all of your sort of nutrition and carb targets during the bike when you looked back, as like opposed to the the bag yeah. full of stuff at the end of the ride yeah, oh, i mean in the old the 70.3 honestly it was just a complete waste of money even putting fuel in i didn't i didn't like what was in the bags it's like well, why are we even putting it in there but you know and i will say um proficient pro, pro, you know pfnh i <laughs> i love particularly their chews i mean i could live on the chews all day any day you know because sometimes you get race nutrition that you never want to ever see like shock blocks right now i'm dreading the weekend because it's like oh i don't want another shock block but but the the the, uh, the chews are fantastic and what i did was i i'd unwrapped everything because you can't be unwrapping all of that in the bag with a hand on and road surfaces and trying to race everything was unwrapped meticulously and i'd also gone and found myself some savory because again a lot of other people talk about needing savory and I'm a very savory person so I'd practiced with a few things um prior to the race I would never have gone into it with having tried it in it so I had a savory section I did have the world's biggest top tube bag and I had all, all, all my um you know my, my real nutrition food and I said I nibbled all the way around so I didn't I didn't I think my jaw was going as much as my legs were pedaling I did actually have some left over and I and it wasn't a case of taking loads of spares just in case because I did drop a salt capsule. So I, I'd had spares of things like that. So I, I wouldn't be, you know, d- deficient in any way. Um, but there was a little there was there was some left over, but not to the extent I think that would have been damaging. I mean, I I'd aimed for 60 grams per, per hour. I, I probably I'm going to I'm going to guess 50, you know, maybe 52, I, I, you know, but on the run. I absolutely hit it because I know two gels an hour every 30 minutes, 23 grams in each of those gels and and, and, and the 250 milligrams of salt. I, I'd never even contemplated in my whole life ever using sodium or before, again, before the training and the one-to-one with precision. Um, and, you know, looking back, when I know how many I took that day, I, I think it's so so important because it, mm. again it's back to the recovery after when I think how I'd recover I'm a bit older now and the recovery since then yeah it like really crucial to do that and I, I know that there's the temptation people don't want to take the hands off or, or or think they'll just wing it for a bit longer but I've learned not to yeah it's important yeah I think Sarah's race is a great example of what Ironman's all about in terms of it's not a speed limited event. It's the athletes that slow down the least over the longest period of time are the ones that are going to be successful in their age group or achieving their personal goal. And, you know, Sarah spoke about the nine one and many athletes would put that in a draw because they don't want to be thinking that they're one of the athletes walking early on, even before the half marathon is over in a four marathon distance. But Sarah's really meticulous and understanding that actually she's conserving her body, she's conserving her energy, she's allowing 
herself not just to take on the nutrition but for that actually to be absorbed and passed around the body to the major muscle groups and you just can't be doing that at a high intensity for a long duration so just backing it off every nine or so minutes just gives your body that opportunity to absorb that nutrition but also lower your core temperature lower your heart rate and all these things have a massive impact not just in the next 10 minute section but three hours down the line hey guess what Sarah's looking great and running towards the finish line whereas everyone else is doing the Ironman shuffle which we know isn't the most efficient way of getting from A to B so that I think is really brilliant the other part that I think um, we can all learn from is the fact that Sarah made some really crucial decisions during the race and one of them was keeping an eye on heart rate and you know triathletes majority of athletes are wearing a heart rate strap but a little bit like HRV, we only use it when we want to see it. We look for the numbers that we want to see. Whereas Sarah actually saw her heart rate or her power early on in the bike that was slightly harder than we discussed. She had the decision there. Actually, maybe I'm fitter than I thought and faster than I thought and stronger than I thought. Maybe this is my golden day. I'll keep pushing on. Everyone else around me is looking strong. Maybe I'm. Maybe I should stay with them. But no, when you look at Sarah's ride... The first three hours, 15, which is more or less um, the first half of the ride, her normalized power was 144 watts, which was towards the higher end, the top end of what we wanted to see. It was within the wheelhouse. It's within her potential. But we had had this discussion pre-race that you can split the bike and the run into two different sections. And the difference between a poor bike, an average bike, and a really good bike is a matter of watts. And in the grand scheme of things, it's a handful of minutes. And, you know, we had a guesstimate with Sarah that the difference between a really good bike and a really poor bike, barring mechanicals, is probably five to seven minutes. It's a lot, but it's not totally changing your day. Whereas when we look at the run, good run, average run, poor run, We know that when you have a poor run, it usually means stopping, coming to a standstill, not being able to take on any nutrition, core temperatures just rising to the point of it being irreversible, hydration's totally gone. Essentially, you're sitting on the side of a curb thinking, this is not my day. So the difference there in terms of minutes could be half an hour. And that can go either way. A really good run can be half an hour off your time, or really bad run can be 45 minutes to an hour of basically walking the last half marathon. So we had that conversation and I think that helps Sarah make that decision on the bike. When she saw that 144, she thought, hmm, that's not going to put me in the greatest position for the fastest marathon I can do. And you can kind of see that decision making in your in your data. So when we look at the second half of the bike, you pulled that right back down to 133. So that's 10 watt, 10 watt kind of down. But actually, your overall time didn't suffer at all on the bike maybe 90 seconds a minute two minutes something like that absolutely fine but it enabled you to take on that nutrition keep that heart rate low and also mentally know that you're protecting your run which is kind of the big dance at the end of the show you did that really well and your heart rate was super controlled but I feel that that was the key to your whole day that heart rate could have gone up and up and up in that last three hours but you backed off and it takes a really brave athlete to do that, I feel. And um, yeah, I think you can be really proud of that, Sarah. That was awesome. <laughs> it was really interesting. The day before, I, I, we went up to Nottingham on the Saturday 
And I listen to the podcast every week and I'd saved that podcast that you both had done for the Friday when I was doing my final packing and it was how not to DNF in an Ironman. And I had it on and I was listening and one big thing that kept sticking with me was I'd never really, beyond trying one of the gels with some caffeine in before I did a long swim, which was fine. I had no side effects from it, but then I don't know whether it did me any good or any bad. I don't know because it's just a one-off, very long swim. So I'd, Chris and I had had this little chat about caffeine and, and maybe using it at a certain place on the bike and a certain place on the run. And then I listened to the podcasts and Rob, this stuff that came up and I remember Rob saying, mm, caffeine, mm, you've got to really train me this. Three, Matt, Chris, do you think two? And I'm thinking, yeah, I was going to, I'm doing this packing and I looked and there was all my pretend bags laid out, photographing them, writing down what's in them so that I could pack easily on the Saturday to hand them in. And I thought, all the way around the bike, I thought, do I do that caffeine gel? I've not done one on the bike. Do I do it? What do I, come on, angels, give me the answer. And then I made a decision just not to do it. And I look back now, both, I didn't do it on the bike or the run, and I had a nice race. Could I have had a better one with caffeine gel? Maybe. Could I have had a worse one with one? Maybe. But I took the decision not to, not because it's a bad product or or that I had a horrible reaction to it before the day on the swim. The point was I hadn't used it every single time that I'd been out there doing my my six-hour buy for my two-hours foot five run. And so I'm pleased I made that decision on the, on the day that I wasn't swayed by what people say in, in magazines or or chat. Isn't yeah. it funny that a lot of the stuff we're talking about in terms of what brought you success on this particular race day, it's we're not talking about your aerobic fitness because we know that you're fit and many of the athletes listening, we're all pretty fit. We do We do triathlon. But at the end of the day, it's all about decision making and making the right decision at the right time on the right day. And, you know, you could have easily gone with what you listened to on a different podcast or read in a magazine of caffeine as the, you know, quick secret to success to podium and all these kind of marketing things that are out there. But at the end of the day, you made that decision as an individual of, no, I'm going to back myself. I understand my body and I haven't trained with this enough times to fully believe in it. Therefore, I'm going to trust myself. And yeah, I find it really interesting that this is a sport where on the start line, if you probably took all the athletes to a lab and tested their aerobic capacity, we'd probably all be within 10 or 20% of each other. But then when you look at the results, the results, there's a vast, vast difference between middle of the pack, top end of the pack and towards the back as well. And I think a lot of that's to do with the decision making that's happening in six months pre-race, but also during that race, racing the scenario that's in front of you, whether it's a headwind, tailwind, whether you're choosing what bike you're using, the tire pressure, the equipment you're using, the nutrition, all of that stuff is what's either breeding success or a really difficult day. And I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to you because actually you're focusing on what did bring you that success, which was the decision making, as opposed to having a really big aerobic capacity. Yeah, it was such an unknown to me as much as, you know, like you say, yes, you know, I did have to sit and swift to the garage five and a half hours one day and six another because of what, where the ball needs. I have come back from run absolutely soaked. I have, I did what Rob said and train in bad weather because I got bad weather on the day. All my races have been bad weather. I've swum 
when it was raining and the visibility was horrible and I just wanted to, you know, I wanted my mum, you know, I just did, but I did it because it can be reality. And and I think the race plan is such a comfort to have that. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have even known about doing a race plan before, but to have that there to check back to, it, it, it was a source of comfort. I had memorised a lot of it. You have always got to have the what-if scenario because there are always going to be what-ifs that come up. And for me, the what-ifs that day were, yeah, backing off a little bit of the run, deciding not to do the caffeine, you know, just tiny things, I think, for me. But when when I look back, I, I'm, you know, I, I think I prepared and I couldn't have done it without a structured plan. And I'm not just saying that because it's the three of us from TOA, but that really helped me. And, and... And learning about nutrition and fuel, that was my biggest fear actually of doing a full distance was I can get away with a 70.3 or I had to a point, but could I have done better? If I've been better fueled, you see, I'm learning all this now, but that was my big fear. What if I have, you know, end up on a drip or, or in a medical tent for hours and things, you know, which I have been before on a very hot marathon. And, you know, I don't want to do that to my family. I don't want to do it to me and I want to recover and, and start well afterwards. Um, but the feeling, you know, just to, to finish the story of the, the day was the, the feeling when I didn't stop at the last aid station and I just thanked them and I waved them. I'm never so happy to never see an aid station again. Not that particular one, but anyone. And I was giving myself these little, just run to that like a fartlek, just run to that next bit of metal, just run to that next. And the, the, the gaps got smaller and smaller as I came down the last bit. Then you hear the music. Then there's a slot where you go in and you pick up your family, which I did, my sister and my nephew. And you run down the, the shoe. I, I, the emotion. I don't think I've, I, I've ever felt anything quite like that in my life. And the song that was playing, I even heard it in my car today. That will be with me forever. And you get through. They give you a medal, which is so heavy at that point, you can hardly, hardly lift your head. And then they show you these steps that you have to walk up. Now. 9-1 walking is very different to trying to walk up a bunch of steps after you've just done a full distance triathlon. And yeah, that was that was incredible. You couldn't the smile like this, I don't think, has gone for the last weeks. So I was smiling, I was crying. Then saw my husband, we both cried. I did it, you know, I couldn't have done it without him, without them, without you all, without the friends, without the work. And that, that moment is all there. And you know, the rain was pouring down, everything, my skin hurt. And I had to pose with a fantastic Erdinger beer, which was great. I thought I was going to slip through my hands. And I thought, you know, don't do that and embarrass yourself. I still at that point had no idea of my time, of my splits, of anything. Till we walk around and they take a picture, you get a picture taken with your time, was when I found out my time. I still had no idea of any of my splits. Um, my husband said, what, you what was your overall time in the end, Sarah? 12 hours, 40 minutes and 13 seconds. Look at that. Yes. And in my, in my, in my heart, on a, on a different day of weather, and I had indicated this to you, because only you and my husband that I'd ever let on to was I would have loved to have been in the 12 to 12 and a half hours, even happier nearer to the 12. I had this thing of getting the six-hour bike and the four-hour marathon based on what I thought I could do. I'd give myself two hours for the swim and the faff. And But that those weather conditions, they were very, very tough. And everyone has commented on, on that's done it, all commented on, on that day. Even the winner herself, you know, commented on the, the brutal weather. 
And when I eventually got my bike and my bags and everything's hurting and it's raining and you can't walk and I put it all in the car, Nick husband put it all in the car, and I saw the 346 WhatsApps, of which 76 were from a group of TOA guys that we live within a certain region, southeast, and we've all become chit-chatty. And I just plonked my time on there from the official text that comes out. And I said, I want to read all your texts later. Uh, you know, I want to read them all. Thank you so much for being there today. I don't know my splits. For one of the guys to reply back and say, you don't even know you've podium, do you? And at that point, I then just screamed the car down thinking, I didn't even know I had it in me to do that. I couldn't swim. I didn't own a bike. I've been a runner since a kid, so God knows what my run technique's like, but I'm sure it could be better. And I'm slow in transition to deliberately, and I, I and I wasn't on a TT bike, and I came third in my age group, and 25 started, 21 finished, and I came third. I just could not believe it. I still cannot believe it, and yeah, couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. Lots of people were part of that. Me getting what I got. It wasn't just me, but that was incredible to then have to go back the next day for the presentation where I could hardly even walk up the stairs to get in there and, and so on. But yeah, it was a lovely moment if you'd like to see my oh, look at that. The trophies. Yeah, my trophy for third, which I still need to get engraved. Amazing. <laughs> and my big finishes medal. <laughs> Yes, look at that. Fantastic. So that's it. That that's the story of your evolution from from first seeing what triathlon was at seventy point three. You were drafted in as a runner at the last minute to having the courage to enter, to having the courage to train, to getting yourself in shape and finishing, and then finally podiuming. That's that's quite some story, Sarah. You've done a you've done a good job there. I hope you're proud of yourself. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it, I think it was a bit of a shock. It was just a shock. It was just such a shock, I think. And yeah, more than anything. And I can't look back and say that I did anything. I don't mean wrong, but I, I think I stuck to what I planned to do. You know, I, okay, I dropped one salt tablet, and on the the second time I filled up my water, I only put one. Um, hydration tablet in instead of two because I was so busy chatting to the lady who's holding my bike for me in the rain but I look back and think no you know what you stuck to your plan girl you, you did it you had fun but I, you know I smiled I thanked everyone encouraged other people saw other people from the team on, on on the run particularly all looking fabulous and you know interacting with each other and yeah, it was just a really happy happy event and I, I felt felt quite lost after in the days after you know, I'm, I felt lost. It was like it isn't there. Outlaw isn't there waiting for me on the 30th of July. You know, what's next sort of thing, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> I feel that that result is one that, um, you know, it's going to stand the test of time for you. You'll always remember that race day. And, you know, very few things went wrong and you adapted really well. And it's, it's phenomenal that you ended up on the podium. It really is. And that's not an easy yeah. podium to attain. But I feel that having observe the process from afar the thing that stands out for me is actually more the process the process that you've been through is quite phenomenal and you've run towards the challenge you've looked under every stone and I feel that the process is something that often gets forgotten when 
you know, we're picking up trophies and standing on podiums. And a lot of people will think, well, you know, she's naturally talented. That's, you know, well done her. <laughs> Actually, I've seen how, you know, I've seen tears. I've seen tears in meetings. I've seen some emails where, you know, at times it feels very dizzying, very lost. How, how the hell do you balance all these things with a busy job? But you always found a way and you adapted. You didn't just adapt on race day, but you've adapted for the last six months. And you you haven't shied away from swimming in the open water, which is daunting. You haven't shied away from riding around cones in a car park and also adapting your run from being a really good natural runner to actually pressing the slow down button and, and walking. Because oh. as coaches, we asked you to walk for certain intervals because we actually thought that would be the best outcome for you on race day. And and you, you took it all on board. You're always making notes. You're always listening. And I feel that as well, you're making notes now, but as a long distance athlete, if there's, you know, a listener thinking that you want to take on your first long distance venture, I feel that there's some lessons here that actually it's a learning process. It's one where you want to evolve and look for your weaknesses and even strengthen your strengths. And that's what you've been doing. It hasn't come easy. And I don't think Ironman's easy for anyone, even the most gifted of athletes. It's everyone's learning a huge amount. And you've been so open-minded to kind of our values, our philosophy and the way that mm. we would like you to go through the training plan. And, you know, when I look at your race ready, it's phenomenal. We can round that up to 100% for weeks on end. And we can't be surprised that you had a brilliant race. No one's ever promised a brilliant race, however consistent you are, but you've ticked all the boxes and mentally, physically, you had the knowledge on race day and you applied it. And yeah, I absolutely love seeing an athlete flourish in that way and, and evolves as a human. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, you learn a lot about yourself on the journey. You really do. And um, the actually, the one thing that I didn't mention in the part of the training, I mean, I'm actually a trained yoga therapist and I used to teach exercise to music when I was younger. So I've done the standing up in the classes and you know massage therapist talk baby yoga done done everything really my life's been so sport related and, and health related but I can't impress enough you know it is within our program strength and conditioning and yoga but I on top of that because I do lots and lots of yoga and lots and lots of pilates and I really I cannot and I always tell those teachers like I couldn't and, and sometimes I'll be you know, even at the tender age of 51, the youngest by a lot in some of my classes. And they all love the story that she's, a, she's an athlete, that one at the front, you know. So, but it's getting that core stability, looking after your spine, looking after your muscles, your tendons, everything. I'm very lucky, touch wood, I didn't have any issues through the 10 months and I'd had a lot of issues prior. Um, but I can't stress to people enough, you've got to keep yourself strong with, 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 that side of it to be able to do the the, the three disciplines yeah and Listen that was um, sorry i was just going to say that i had a conversation with sarah uh before the race oh. actually in it was in your last kind of big training block where you said uh, to be honest chris i'm loving the process but never again i'm never doing full distance again <laughs> i'm going to be a 70.3 specialist maybe do some park runs run with the dog and that'll be me it's one and done i promise you and i believed you i genuinely believed you. Mm, yes the race um well it sounds it's the, race. Yeah, it's mm. the race it sounds like you are venturing towards another full distance but yeah we'll see yeah we'll see we're 99.9 percent 
Well, you, you've given me the green light last week, so but I did find myself reserving accommodation on Booking.com for for, for for the middle of June next year in a country I've never been to called Austria. So we shall see. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> nice. Hey, listen, to wrap this up, what advice would you give to anyone out there who's listening who is in the same position you were a year ago Who's you know maybe they're thinking about entering Ironman and they've maybe done a few triathlons before, but they're not sure if they can do it. What advice would you give to them? I would firstly say get yourself a really good structured plan, um, I, and that's not me just trying to sell what we do. But I yeah, go on, sell, sell what we do. Oh, go on then, go, go for on. it. It's, it's, the, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. You, you, you've got to be. No, no, seriously. Come and join us at TOA. But I didn't have one, and I winged it, and I qualified GB stuff and so on, and I got by. But there's no way I could have got by without really knowing how to train for something that was effectively it's more than half a day of actually eventing. Um, and it's more than that. It's not just the 12 hours, 40 minutes, 13 seconds. It's from the from way back. It's from the day of the day before the blah, 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 blah. Get structure and learn about things. Don't be frightened of things. I didn't know what normalised power. It took me ages to be brave enough to ask about that. I knew nothing about everyone saying about grams per hour and this for this. And, you know, learn about it. Don't be afraid, as I did in that, that day. You know, yes, I'm scared to descend. Don't be afraid to say it because others will then join in and say, me too. And and learn about it. Enjoy learning it because it's, it's a really good journey. But have belief. Have belief in yourself. You know, that that's I think that's really key as well. Yeah, I love that. Fantastic. Hey, well, listen, on behalf of all of us, congratulations. It's it's really great to see somebody dedicate themselves to the process like you've done and get the result that they're that they're training really, you know, you deserve it for the hard work you've put in. So so well done. Can we see the the finishing the medal and your award one last time before we wrap this up, please? There's the medal. The heavy metal. Yeah, love it. Oh, look at that. Anyone who's listening on the podcast, you've got to go to the YouTube version and check out. That's a fantastic, <laughs> great big trophy, isn't it? So, so just think there's somebody out there right now who who might be thinking about clicking enter on an event, and this this might be their many years' time picking up medals and trophies as well. Not that it's all about that, but it is nice if you end up with one at the end of the day, isn't it? It's really special, yeah. yeah. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank Chris, you. thank you for joining us as well and for your uh, for your expert expertise and the input there. That's brilliant. And for everyone listening, thank you very much for joining us. And here are some discount codes and deals for you. PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can go there and you can taste the delicious PF&H chews that Sarah has been talking about. You can use the code OA23 for 15% off your first order. I'd advise buying loads of those chews because the kids get in them and before you know it, they've disappeared, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> and if you've liked what you've heard regarding how training has gone for Sarah and you want to find out more about whether we can help you out, you can go to teamoxygenetic.com. I think we've got the most comprehensive endurance sports coaching program for busy age groupers. There's a link in the show notes or a link in YouTube to click. You can book a call to my calendar or Chris's calendar and have a chat with us about how we might best be able to help you out with your triathlon and endurance event goals for next season. So remember, links in the show notes. You don't have to remember them. And until next week, have a great, safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby. And he's Coach Chris Palferman. You've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. See ya.